Welcome to this podcast. I'm Mary Abizia, and I'm joined by my partner and co-author of The Accidental Marketer, Tom Spitali, and uh, Sean Wellham, who heads up our European operation uh, for our consulting firm, which is Impact Planning Group. Uh, hi, Tom. Hi, Sean. Hi, Mary. Hey, Mary. So, hey, um, this podcast is um, designed for all of our accidental marketers. And uh, what that means is you may be an accidental marketer or you may work with someone who is an accidental marketer. So we address very specific topics um, that pertain to them and that you request. So let us know what you'd like for us to tackle. So today we're continuing a series where we do a deep dive into chapters of our book. And we're doing this one at a time. And the third chapter of our book is titled, Are You Making Lukewarm Tea? Are You Making Lukewarm Tea? And it's about the very um, underrated and probably uh, very misunderstood concept of segmentation. So uh, let's see, John, since you're the Brit here um, and the Brits are the world's expert on tea, what is this talk really all about with uh, this lukewarm stuff? Can you explain that for us? Yeah, yeah, I, I love this. Um, I love this analogy. The and I actually have almost firsthand experience because I've lived both in the UK, where I'm from, uh, and in America. Now, the thing is, as those of you from America will understand, and those that have been there, tea in America is typically an ice cold beverage served with lemons and chunks of ice cubes and whatnot. So it's iced tea. You come to the UK, your, your default setting for tea is a steamy hot cup of of English breakfast tea. Uh, they're both called tea, but one is hot and one is very cold. And the concept behind this lukewarm tea is if you couldn't differentiate between your entire audience, so you said, what's the what's the middle ground? What's the what's the what's the the blended average product that will that will appeal? And you serve everybody lukewarm tea, which has the effect of really annoying the Brits who want their tea piping hot and kind of disappoints the uh, the Americans who, who like their tea ice cold. So you actually, by trying to please everybody, you please nobody. Treating everyone the same is, is the problem. And I guess that's the analogy in terms of um, business and how, how segmentation fits into that. I have one more example, actually, which is the, the, the Brexit example we've got going on over here now. We Half the country voted to stay in half the country voted to leave. And what we're going to end up with, as it looks at the moment, is some sort of fudged compromise where we're sort of in, but sort of out, which is going to please nobody. You're going to actually make 100% of people pretty annoyed that they haven't got what they want. And the difference, of course, between Brexit and the business situation or the marketing situation of segmentation is you have to make a position for everybody. But of course, in, in business, I think the, the point is you can treat people differently, right? Yeah. yeah I think, well, yeah, I, was, I guess, Mary, what I was going to say is, is, is the, the idea of companies just making lukewarm tea, or as Sean describes, making one product that sort of averages the wants and the needs of the entirety of a marketplace is kind of a holdover from the mass production era of business. I mean, it didn't used to be cost effective to create a, you know several different value propositions that you would vary for each segment, if you will. The hot tea lovers got hot tea, the cold tea lovers get cold tea. It used to be not cost effective to do that. But 
part of what's happening with mass customization technologies and just the ability to, to make smaller run sizes on physical products or just the ability to treat different customers differently. Um, many companies are now able to do that, but they're not taking full advantage of it. And Mary, I guess we see, you know, the, the, the downsides of that and, and also the upsides for companies that are able to do it. Yeah, yeah, I was wondering, well, one of the things that I like to think of um, with segmentation is that it is a bridge. And maybe why some companies do it and others don't is that it it isn't the end, it's the way to get there. So if you segment, then it allows you to think about your customers differently and hopefully you're treating them differently and pleasing one group, as Sean said, and then pleasing a different group very differently. So, you know, it's, it's that false expectation that segmentation is gonna solve it perhaps. Um, and it, the good news and bad news, it's hard, but, it's good because hopefully your competitors aren't doing it, you know, um, and the bad news is you have to put a little bit of effort into it. But I, I don't think there's a company that we've worked with that hasn't put the effort in and found the the gold at the end of the, the rainbow by doing it. So I'm wondering um, a little bit more specifically about B2B applications. Sean, can you share with us some of your experiences with the B2B? It sounds like everyone's used to consumer. We see that more, but can you talk about the B2B world with segmentation? Yeah, B2B, in some ways it has advantages because you, you, you tend generally to have fewer customers and maybe a deeper relationship with those customers um, than you would do in a mass consumer market. Um, and therefore, some of the insights you can get can be more, I guess, business relevant than just maybe um, image conscious or, or maybe something more superficial. Um, you know, we, we worked with a, um, a business in South Africa who were working with uh, agricultural feedlots where they, where they you know, send the, the livestock to get fattened up. Um, and you would think that would be a pretty samey sort of market. But we did some, um, uh, some segmentation and we went through various attempts. This is the one thing I think you mentioned, Mary. It's not easy. You know, it, it requires iteration. It requires constant effort. But we landed on some pretty... Um, pretty interesting segments and they were along the lines of things like the business minded segments who were all about the, the, the price and the, the delivery cycle and the availability of product. We had a, a service sensitive segment that were much more interested in building a, a relationship with a supplier that they could maybe rely on a little bit, see them more as a partner. Um, and we had another one, which was the, the reputation enhancers. There were certain businesses that wanted to make sure their business looked really good in the eyes of their peers and, and their customers. And each of those, they all wanted the same basic thing, but that segmentation just highlighted a different approach that could be taken both at the, um, at the product level, but also at the sales level, at those individual transactional levels when you're talking to people. So it was a, it gave a lot more scope, I think, than some of the consumer items, which are, which is much more broad brush. Mm, that's a great example. Um, Tom, how about you? What do you see in B2B with segmentation? I think B2B has one huge advantage when it comes to implementing, executing on segmentation that the consumer world doesn't. But it can also be the liability, and that is the sales force. In the business-to-business -business world, you typically have an account executive 
that understands the differences between customers and their needs and can articulate that in a way that helps the broader company make sense of truly what are the different segments that are out there in the marketplace. And then, you know, instead of the, the consumer world, which re, re, relies really largely on its messaging or its offers to kind of show a particular segment that they understand them, the sales force is a great conduit to then take that segment-specific value proposition and articulate why it fits great with the segment itself you know, and, 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 our, and communicate the power of a segment-specific value proposition to the customer. That is a huge advantage, but it becomes a liability because so often when um, these segmentation approaches are developed for B2B, it's done sort of like silo. The marketing uh, department might do it without involving the sales force. And that sets up a whole bunch of, of, of dysfunction where the sales force feels like the marketing staff didn't inquire enough about, you know, and include them enough. They don't believe in the segments. It kind of all falls apart internally and masks the fact that customers love segmentation and study after study that we've seen shows that if you execute segmentation um, uh, successfully, that your sales, your response rates, all the positive metrics do go up. Have mm -hmm. you seen similar, Mary? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I absolutely see that. And um, I think to your point is, is that it, it can't be done in a silo. Number one, you know, marketing can't go off and do it. Although it's funny because I think sales naturally does this in their sleep. It's just that the organization isn't aligned around it. So getting the salespeople and, you know, if you're in the pharmaceutical world, getting the medical people, or if you're in industrial, getting getting people that, that are aware of the market and the customers in the room to help start that hypothesis and then vet it. Um, and it doesn't have to be perfect. I think that that's another thing when you originally asked why companies don't do it sometimes. We don't think that there is such a thing as, as bad segmentation. Um, well, maybe there is. <laughs> but we think that there's <laughs> ones that either have, you know, that provide a lot of insight or some insight or no insight. So you want to, a, a segmentation have, has to give a cross-functional group insights about those customers and how they might serve them the very best that they can. So I think sometimes making it perfect, what is it? Um, uh, perfect is the evil of, I, I don't have this one right. <laughs> what is it about? Uh, oh, go ahead, say it. It's bad breath, is, bad, bad breath is better than no breath. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and the perfect is the enemy of the good. I think this was the one you were looking at. <laughs> but but, but, but they, they, it, it's true. You know, I think dividing your, your markets in some way and not making lukewarm tea is great. But I mean, we see companies that do it uh, in ways like you said, Mary, that are less insightful, where they they we we call it classification when it isn't really when segmentation isn't done right, where people put companies into broad and very obvious buckets, you know, large hospitals, regional hospitals, community hospitals, you know, things that I mean, certainly it's the process of dividing customers into different buckets, but you really don't get a lot of insight when you're segmenting based on firmographics or company size, um, it, it really is a situation where we've seen again and again, if you, if you, you know, segment based on customers' needs, 
and how those needs or how they do business is different from other types of business businesses, that's the most effective way to do it. Do you agree, mm-hmm. Sean? Yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting point as well, because whenever you talk to businesses, or, or I should say, in many cases, when you talk to businesses and say segmentation, you often get, yeah, yeah, we do that. We've got the big companies, we've got the little companies, we've got the smaller companies, we've got the companies that are in the north of the country in the south. And you're thinking, yeah, that's that's not, as you said, Tom, that's classification. The one thing I would say, though, is that I never take the view that classification, bad segmentation, good because often there's, there's, there's a need to classify almost as a first step, you know, before you segment. Maybe as you look at your market, you need to say, you know, where are we focusing our efforts generally? And then we segment within that. So sometimes classification can help to, to help you see the wood for the trees, clear out some of the extraneous noise. And maybe you have to do segments on your different classifications. You know, they, they can sometimes work together to help structure the thinking a little bit. But it is common, yeah. People do tend to think of classification and segmentation as one and the same thing when they're really not. I really like what you guys are saying about that, too. I think that to make that distinction, number one, of classification, am I more what-based or is it more why? Why somebody wants to buy something or not, what their needs are. Um, Making that distinction of classification versus segmentation is really critical to this topic. And then, as you said, Sean, Doing classification a lot of times does sort chaos so that you are really focused on the right bucket of customers then to go further and say, you know, what are their needs and how do we segment? Um, I, I have two more quick questions. One is how many segments are the right number of segments? In your experience, Sean, what have you seen to be the right number of segments? Well, I can answer it in, in the negative. I can tell you what isn't a good number. And that's when someone says, yeah, we've got 16 segments we're going after because it just gets so diluted in terms of the effort. It gets confusing in terms of the approach. And also there's a lot of blurred edges. So you can have, certainly you can have too many segments in my experience. Now I've seen segmentation work perfectly well with two segments. So the ideal number, I guess that's how long is a piece of string. There's so many variables. In my experience, though, the sweet spot seems to be somewhere between three to five workable segments is is a really good number. As I said, you can do it with two. Get much past five, you, you've added a lot of noise and chaos into the system, and I've not really seen that work. I don't know if you guys have, but I've not. Mm-hmm. No, I, th- I, I agree. Tom? Yeah, three to five, sweet spot. I the the book in the, in our book chapter chapter three, which we talk about segmentation, which is we're kind of featuring here today, has got a great case study in it. If you haven't read the book about a company that that created tremendous results with just two segments, but usually you need at least three. But I've never seen more than five work. Yeah. Um, Mary, I you were if if I could, there was one other thing I think we should talk about, I know we're coming to the end of our time, but uh, in B2B segmentation, there's one other W question. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I think you had said something like why and, and versus what, but one other question that we face all the time, I'd love to hear your guys' uh, uh, opinion, is who? Um, in B2B, we all know there's a number of, of, of buyers at any one given or influencers at any one given account, right? And so the question is always, do you segment the buyer personality and needs or do you segment the organization what do you guys think 
Wow, that's that's uh that's a question with no simple answer because in some cases it's it's plain and simple. You must segment the um the individual buyers because they're the ones that you're having the communication with and they act very autonomously. When you get into a, to to business segmentation, you're thinking what sorts of businesses should we be going for? Then those businesses have to demonstrate a a similar personality across all functions and that can happen um i think it's it's more uncommon to have to segment businesses and it's much more uh useful to segment personalities within the business in my experience but i could throw exceptions to to both of those rules but as a as a general that's where i would land as a default i would start with the individual yeah i i i agree with you i do think that um a lot of times that we do see however that um at the end of the day it's about executing on segmentation and to be able to do that the salespeople have to know what buildings they're driving up to um you know who are we contacting at an organizational level so sometimes there's more insight, uh, even though you don't get as deep into needs. You, they say, customers that we work with segment um, at the at the organizational level, and within those organizations, there are there's the DNA, if you will, of that organization. One is a lot more, you know, legally driven. Another one's more scientifically driven, or more educationally driven, or, and that at least gets. Um, it gets enough insight so that uh, you can actually address some of those core needs and not treat everyone as just lukewarm tea. So, you know, if you can get to the individual level, great. But a lot of times, even just getting to the organization will provide you with that advantage that you need to have to be able to differentiate. Um, it looks like we're at, uh, we should be wrapping up here. Um, we hope that you've enjoyed this podcast regarding segmentation in chapter three. And um, we look forward to having you join us in future episodes. We'd love to hear anything you have on future topics. And uh, good luck with your segmentation. Thank you.